Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. Uh, right now, I, I have, uh, my, my eyes are a little watery. I, I just uh, did an episode with the guest you're about to hear, Sheila King. And it's, it's not watery in terms of sadness, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's joy and um, a reminder she is a reminder of, of the human spirit. I, um, I usually wait uh, weeks, sometimes months, to post an episode. I have, I have a backlog of episodes. Her story, though, is, some, is one that we all need to hear. We all need to be reminded of, of what we're capable of. Um, I, at the end of this episode, uh, she, this is her first time doing a podcast. She's never done a podcast before. She's 59 years old. And, uh, at the end of the episode, after I, uh, already cut off the recording, I wish I had kept the recording going. Uh, I heard her say, yes, yes, I did it. I did it. It was like she was nine years old, and it was the most heartwarming thing uh, I've ever heard. I, I I just received, I mean, I just, at 59, to be so excited to do a podcast and uh, and to overcome her anxiety, which she'll talk about in this episode. Her story is remarkable. She uh, She's 59. 29 years sober, 29. Uh, she diagnosed with depression, anxiety, PTSD, molested when she was six, has seven kids, uh, uh, got divorced from a, an abusive marriage and a brand new marriage. Uh, has been going strong for about 11 years. Uh, her mom died when she was six. Uh, so many obstacles uh, went back to school with four kids. Like, you, if you saw this in a movie, you wouldn't believe it. And and I know it sounds like I gave the whole thing. There's so much more to her story that is remarkable. And, and it's not a story of pain and agony. It's a, it's a story of resilience and overcoming obstacles and and of acceptance. That That's really, at the end of this, what... Uh, she talks about how a lot of our suffering is, is from not accepting the help, not accepting our diagnoses, not accepting the way things are. It's through acceptance that we're able to move forward. Um, I, she talks about forgiveness and how she was able to forgive the people in her life who, and, and also take responsibility for her part in the things that have uh, happened to her. It's such a beautiful uh, story. I don't want to, um, we, we just got to get into it. Uh, if you're struggling with tragedy, traumas, or transitions, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching. Um, I, I, you just got to, I, I can't wait for you to hear this. Let's get into the episode. So Sheila King, what, what's your what's your what's your story in terms of uh, mental health? What what have you been diagnosed with? 
Well, for me and uh, mental health has been a long road. Um, of course, I grew up um, in a household where we didn't talk about mental health, you know, of course. And I had an aunt who had mental health. But back then, you really just say they was crazy, you know. And so you really didn't look at it. And it was like, I'm never going to be like that, you know. But um, as I came into recovery, um, I have 29 years of sobriety. And as I came into recovery, and I guess about my 10th year in sobriety, about my 10th, 15 year in sobriety, I started seeing little signs of mental health, but I denied it. Um, I kept denying it for a long time until I had a friend who uh, told me one day, she said, you know, every time we talk in uh, um, October, you know, you be in tears. And I'm like, no, you know, and nothing be going on. And I'd be like, no, you know, and I kind of kind of brush it off. And as time went on, I went to the doctor and he um, he diagnosed me with um, seasonal depression. And I said, okay, he gave me medicine. And for me, I would take myself off the medicine. You know, when I got ready, I was like, I don't need this medicine. I'm good. Da, 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 da. And as time went on, I, I saw that I would get into these um, to these uh, moves, I would be really anxious about something. And I begin to see it, you know, more and more. And eventually I was like, well, maybe I do have an issue with mental health. And I went to the doctors and they was telling me I, I suffer with PTSD. So I ended up in the hospital about maybe four months ago. Um, I was on the psych ward for six days. And that's when I really, really began to embrace and, and look at my mental illness. Um, because for so long, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really own up to the fact that I had mental illness. You know, uh, that was just taboo uh, coming up in my time. And uh, you know, and I, w- I had a breakdown. You know, I basically really had a meltdown and ended up in the hospital and, and asking myself, how did I get here? You know, uh, because of the person I am, I have seven keys, you know, and I'm like, it's no way I can be here with all the stuff and all the, you know, things that I've been through in life. How do I get here? You know, um, and the mental illness, you know, as it described to me is, you know, it's a defect in um, uh, the mind and it's not something that I have to be ashamed of. And I was ashamed of it. I was more ashamed than anything of it. Yeah. And and so how when you went in to the psych ward, what were the reasons that they put you in a psych ward? Well, I had um thoughts of harming myself. And um they decided that I did not need to come back home. But before that day, before that day, earlier that day, I was in a marriage counseling meeting. And I just kind of had a meltdown and our counselor, me and my husband counselor, he decided that it was not safe for me to really come home, you know. And at that time, he couldn't get nobody to take me right away. But when we got home, my husband was like, well, we're going to find somebody to take you because you really need to be seen and diagnosed, you know, and uh, observed and so I ended up going into the going to the hospital at night and talking to a therapist, and they was like, "Oh no, we're not letting you go home because we think you may be a harm to yourself." 
And so, and I, go ahead. And I probably could have been really a harm to myself, yes. Now, was that linked to the PTSD, that the episode that you had? It was linked to that, and it was also linked to the fact that anxiety, I have anxiety and depression on top of the PTSD. What was the PTSD from? Did something happen in your childhood? Yes. Uh, a lot of things happened in my childhood. <laughs> you know, a lot of things happened in my life, you know, that um, kind of took me there. Um, I think I always, from a child, my mom died when I was six. And I think from that point on, I always had some type of depression because I lived with my grandmother, who probably was probably 55 at the most when she got me, you know. Um, and so had being molested added to it, um, you know, being um, and that one time, but more than one time, you know, uh, the lifestyle coming up. Um, you know, I, all that played a part in um, my PTSD and also... About, I guess, 10 years ago, I was in a very, very, very um, bad marriage. Um, and I got, I was divorcing this person, and this person really, really was angry at me. And so, by them being angry at me, they went out to do whatever they could to hurt me. I mean, we had three kids together, and I, I walked out the door with the clothes on my back. You know, um, I left my kids there um, because. He had everything, and so since I had nothing when I left, it, I didn't want to drag them through the mud with me the, the way I felt at the time, you know, and no, not knowing where I was going to go. Um, I just kind of, um, it really started showing up and argued that because, you know, as it is, he was like, it was never a time where he was nice to me. You know, in court, out of court, I went to court for almost a year or so. And that I had never been to court prior to that, you know. So going to court almost every week in court for something, you know, it was just a lot that was put on me, you know. Um, some stuff I chose to do, like get into a relationship with a man who, um, after being with him a year, ended up having cancer, you know, and having to be there to help him die, you know. So it was a lot of things that kind of added on to um, my my depression and my anxiety and my uh, TPSD, you know. Um, and so that's how I got to where I were, and that's how I got to work. Well, actually, that's how I got to working with women. Um, when I left the house and I had nothing, I had to find a job, and someone gave me an opportunity. You know, and I took that opportunity, and, and I've been doing it for 13 years ever since, you know? Wow, what a blessing. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, um, it's one of those stories that, you know, if you saw it in a movie, you wouldn't believe it, but the (laughs) amount of courage it takes um, to to still be here and and still with a smile on your face and still pushing. How old are you now? I'm 59. I just turned 59 um, May the 30th. Wow. And, yeah. and you know, the listeners obviously can't see you, but you look young. Like, uh, there's, not a, <laughs> there's not a wrinkle on your skin. Black does not crack. That is well, the thank truth. Thank you. 
<laughs> well, thank you. You know, so I did get married again. Uh, yeah, I did end up meeting a guy who's in the same field, actually. Um, he's certified in addiction counselor, you know, um, and he's very supportive of whatever it is I want to do, you know, and, um, and we brought her home and I had my kids, I had my, my twins, you know, um, they with me, they came with me almost two years, you know, at the going through all that I went through for six years with my ex-husband, you know, he wasn't very nice uh, at any term. Was he nice about anything, you know? And in turn, I was kind of mean too, because he was bringing out the worst of me, you know? And I was allowing the worst to come out of me, you know? Um, and that's where it just kind of took me at. But um, I, I, I was determined not to let it destroy me. So you you were diagnosed, you've been diagnosed with depression, anxiety. How have you learned to manage that? Because you, you mentioned it was seasonal. Uh, are there any mm-hmm. other diagnoses besides the depression, anxiety, and PTSD? Or is there anything else? Uh, no, that's it right now, you know. <laughs> Hopefully that will be it. But no, I've learned how to recognize it. When um, I'm about to go into even anxiety or depression, you know, um, and usually a lot of time my anxiety will come when I'm facing something that I have never done before. And that can bring on my anxiety. Um, my depression, if I'm not careful, it's definitely in the, in the wintertime when it's really dark. I really, I have a hard time when it's really dark. But I know I pick up, I go to I go to the store, I go shopping. Maybe I might go shopping once a month or two, twice a month if I'm not uh, in my um, anxiety and my depression. If I'm in my anxiety and depression, I might be in the store four times a week buying food, you know. But that also comes from the, um, growing up and not having food, you know. So that puts me into... Uh, uh, I got to go get food. I got to make sure there's enough food in here, you know, when it's always enough food in here. But in my mind, it's just not enough food in here, you know? Yeah, because yeah. you're, you're afraid of, of, like you said, you grew up without having a lot of food. And so there's always that fear of not having enough. And, and so yes. you're probably always making sure you have more than enough. Yes. And not believing that the universe will care for me, you know, take care of me, you know. So I'm getting better with that though, also. <laughs> So, yeah. So uh, in terms of recognizing it, because there's a lot of people out there who struggle with depression, anxiety, and and aren't even aware of all their different symptoms. You said some of your symptoms are, uh, you know, when it's dark, you you know that uh, depression is going to be a thing. What are some of your other symptoms with depression and or anxiety that you've uh, Um, learned to recognize? Well, I know when I'm not, I, I don't want to get out of the bed. And that's part of my depression. Um, when I just wake and I say, oh, my God, you know, I just can't face this day. And then I know that my depression is beginning to kick in. Um, I might start not eating. And that, that, that's a sign of my depression. Or I might start smoking. Cigarettes, that's a sign of my depression, you know, and my anxiety. Um, 
I might um I might just be in this and, and most of the time people ask me all the time, are you all right? Are you all right? And I try to walk around like I'm okay. But for real, it kind of shows on my face because I'm a person that shows a lot of expression on their face. So it kind of shows in my face that I'm not all right. And my um I, I shut down. I, I really shut down, you know, because I'm an outgoing person, but if I'm there, I kind of shut down. I don't want to talk to my friends. You know, I don't want to pull up the the shades. I want the shades down. You know, I want to be in the room. I want to be isolated. And, and those part of my, my disease. Yes. Do you have a, a daily routine or a morning routine or anything that kind of keeps you grounded on a daily basis? Yes. Um, part of my routine is... First thing I do is I pray when I um, get out of the bed. I hit the floor as soon as I hit my, I mean, out of the bed. And then the other part, I do meditation. I have a certain meditation tape that I use um, in the morning when it's quiet like it is now, which most of the time my house is pretty quiet. But um, I do meditation. I might talk to a sponsor I might um, get on the Zoom with some some meetings, and um, that's the way. Or I might go bike riding for two, three miles, which uh, since I've been off, me and my husband are able to do a lot together. That helps my depression, the exercise piece. Um, I talk to a therapist, um, and I'm on my medicine. I stay on my medicine because the, um, the worst thing I can do to myself is Get off my medicine. And I had a habit of doing that like every four, maybe even every three months. I'd be like, I don't need this anymore. The moment I start feeling good, feeling like I'm human, I'm like, I don't need this medicine. I just think it's just, you know, and I'm not realizing that it's the medicine that gets me there. You know, I'm thinking I'm getting there on my own, but when actually it's the medicine that's helping me to get there, you know, so... Um, so I'm staying on my medicine, um, and I'm talking honestly, the absolute truth, my absolute truth of myself, you know, when I'm feeling like that, that it's okay to feel like that, you know, it's okay, you know, to have depression, but don't let depression take you, you know, um, and so those are the things I do in order to keep myself busy, to manage my um, depression, and to recognize when it's, um, it's red and it's ugly head. Do you do anything at night before you go to bed? Do you have a bedtime routine? A lot of people struggle with sleep, especially with depression and PTSD. Are, are there? Do you take a bath? Is it something you read? Uh, what's your is, Do you cut the TV off at a certain time? What's your bedtime routine? I have this little box that my husband ordered for me, and it has different sounds on it. And it, I love the ocean. I love water. I love the beach. I love the water. And so I have the sound of the ocean coming in, the waves coming in. And then I have this little bright light. Um, it's not a light bulb. It's just a little, it's a rock that lights up. I have that. And then I have my prayer, of course. And I, if I can't get to sleep for whatever reason, 
then I might do uh, night meditation. I love that. I do all of that. I, I do a, a <laughs> night meditation almost every night. I do yoga nidra. Um, uh, me and my girl, we go to bed to sounds of the thunderstorm. Yeah. And then uh, there's an app called um, Nothing Much Happens. And, mm-hmm. Or a podcast, not yeah. an app. Uh, and it's just this uh, woman who tells stories where nothing much happens. And uh, every night religiously, me and my girl listen to it and it, it helps put us to sleep. So uh, yes. we definitely, and I also stretch. I, I realize I hold a lot of tension in my body uh, yes. throughout the day and, and stretching or foam rolling or some type of activity uh, before bed helps to, to tuck me in. So uh, all that, the, the morning routine, bedtime routine, huge. How did you learn about meditation? It's, it's so hard for a lot of people to sit with themselves and their thoughts and, you know, stuff comes up and they don't know how to deal with it. How, how have you been, how were you taught meditation and how do you deal with the uncomfortable feelings that, that come up? Well, I've been uh, working off and on on meditation for a long time. And the one thing I was told, because I thought I was doing something wrong because the thoughts came in my head. And I was told, no, it's nothing wrong when you're meditating and thoughts come to your head. Let the thoughts come and let them and release them, you know, because I was like, oh, no, I can't think because my head is so much going on in my brain and it won't stop and da, da, da. And I had to learn how to calm my mind, you know, and, and let what the thoughts I did have, don't try to shake them, just kind of like, you know, um, gravitate toward the sound or whatever it may be that my head is ringing, you know, whatever it's saying to me, just kind of bring it into the meditation. And, and it seemed to work for me and it kind of puts me back where I need to be while I'm meditating. But it took a while for me to be able to do that. You know, yeah. I had a friend who said, uh, you need to learn how to meditate, meditate, meditate. And this has been years she's been telling me this. And I'm really, I'm beginning to really just catch on like the last year or so. And when I had that um, mental breakdown, I began to say, yeah, I need to do these things for myself. Now, do you use prayer at all? I do. And, I how, and how do you separate the prayer from the, like, it, 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 you know, are you meditating in the morning and then praying later on? Or are you doing them back to back? How are you incorporating both? I do my prayer as soon as I wake up. As soon as God wakes me up, I'm on my knees thanking him. Then, depending on how I feel, I may come down and make me some coffee and sit down for a minute and say, okay, now it's time to meditate because the house is quiet and everything. And then I may do my meditation then. I do my prayer in the morning and I do my prayers at night. I like that. Now, you said coffee. Does uh, <laughs> does coffee make you, does the caffeine from the coffee make you a bit more anxious? Because I, I know uh, people who are struggling with uh, mood disorders uh, have to be aware of how much caffeine they're putting in a mm-hmm. system so that it doesn't disrupt your sleep. Uh, what's, are you just having a cup or it doesn't affect you that much? Well, it never, coffee has never really affected me. Um, but I'm down to like one and a half cup a day, and which is good because I used to drink a pot and clean the whole house. 
<laughs> I'm down to one and a half cup a day, which is good, you know, because I'm trying to wean myself off and start drinking more teas and things that are more calm for me. Um, but it doesn't really bother me. Coffee has never really bothered me. And if it did, I really never noticed it. So it never been a problem. Uh, you said 29 years of sobriety. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. Hats off to you. Uh, that's a huge accomplishment. I know that every day uh, is a battle and every moment is also a battle. So uh, I, you've definitely have uh, put on the armor and, and gone to war and, and still in, in the battle, right? We're never yes. quite off the field. How did you do? Were you able to, to stop drinking immediately or was it a bunch of starts and stops? What was your process into uh, that when you from the from the last drink that you had? Uh, well, from the beginning, I, it was I only had I had one relapse in the beginning. Um, I came in and. I was 20-something years old, and I was like, you know, I'm not quite sure that this is for me, and I'm not sure that I'm I'm an alcoholic, you know? And because I had such a thing about I drink beer, which I drink a little more than beer some of the times, but beer was my main thing, you know? And because that addiction was like, okay, um, I just drink beer, you know, which wasn't true, but I was telling myself that. I just drink beer, so it's not a real big problem. But at the end of my addiction, I was doing other stuff, and that had led me to a lot of issues, like the children going to child protective service, the, you know, getting cut off of welfare at the time, um, just not having really. My grandma always had a place for me to live, so the housing piece wasn't too bad. But I got put out of the shelter that was trying to get me permanent housing, but because I couldn't follow their rules, they put me out, <laughs> you know. Um, they tried to help me, first of all, before they put me out. I have to say, they really tried to go out the way to help me, but I just wasn't ready. And uh, I guess about after I got put out of that shelter, probably about two, three months later, I realized that, yeah, maybe there's a problem. Um so I end up because they had sent me to treatment be, at the shelters so I could keep my place there. You know, um, the shelter that I was in had uh, two bedrooms, um, a kitchen and, you know, your own apartment. And you don't get that easily, you know, in D.C. Um, but I couldn't do what those people asked me to do. You know, they sent me to treatment for 12 days. They took care of my kids while I was in treatment. They went the whole nine yards. And I came back out and they told me I need to go to meetings. They gave me a meeting sheet. I did go to meetings, but I just could not connect, you know, with the people that was in the meetings talking about they did this, they did that, this happened and that happened. And I was like, that ain't happened to me. So I couldn't connect. But by the time I got back three months after that, I couldn't relate, you know, to a lot of stuff that they was talking about. And so I just kind of came in and did what they told me to do the first time, which I didn't follow, you know, talking about getting a sponsor. And I was like, I'm not telling nobody my business. I don't need that. You know, um, go to meetings, uh, you know, and I just did what they told me to do the first time. I, it wasn't that they didn't give me what I need. I just chose not to use what they gave me the first time. The second time I chose to use it, you know, um, and it was a lot to go through. And even to this day, I'm like, Lord, have mercy. How did I make it through those first year, two years of recovery? 
because I'm telling you, everything happened. You know, the, my grandmother died, the house burned down. You know, you I had a baby. It was just crazy, but I managed to not drink. And I managed to um, stay on the road of recovery um, and go back to school. You know, um, seven kids. I mean, at that time I had four, but four kids, it was like, uh, you know, going back to school and, you know, um, just trying to get a better life for my kids. And and, and it began to happen. You know, um, I, I, I worked in a, uh, a lobby firm for 14 years um, by the grace, you know, <laughs> But uh, I worked for 14 years in a lobbying firm before I went to work with women. Um, just a whole host of things that happened along the way, you know, with other people helping me along the way, you know, giving me those opportunities and me stepping through, even when I was scared to step through those opportunities. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this because this, I, you know, I just have to trust that God is going to walk me through this. And every time he did, just like today, doing this. I was really actually had a lot of anxiety, but I was like, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it. And whatever way it comes out is fine, but I know I'm going to do my best. I I love that. You're such an inspiration. Uh, I'm inspired by you and uh, I I really uh, appreciate uh, your, I'm not just saying this. I'm just like, wow, I can't imagine Having seven kids, I mean, just just raising myself is a lot. And so for you to go back to school with four kids, uh, it's a testament to your resilience. Uh, How did you, you know, in that, like you said, in that when you decided to go sober and in that first couple of years, you had a baby, the house burned down, (laughs) you you were going back. It's like so many things were happening. And and the the urge, the inclination, the the habit, the tendency to reach for a drink, right? What 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 was what did you replace that with? What were those tools that they gave you that you decided to use? Uh, one of the tools they gave me because when I went back, I, when I left the shelter that I was in after the house caught on fire, I was put back in the shelter. It was just me, not the kids, just me, and I was pregnant at the time. When I got tired of uh, leaving from Maryland to D.C. to get a meeting in, and I had to do this every day, and then I had to walk along about a half a mile or so to the shelter, I started getting tired. And I said, you know, I have to find something else to do. And I came up with this idea about going to my grandmother's house where my cousin was living, who was using her house, because at this time my grandma was in the hospital and was using her house as a crack house. And I said, well, I have to go there and I have to put these people out. I have to clean this place up and I have to make it a place for me to live because, you know, in D.C. was all the meetings there with everybody I knew. You know, it was that kind of thing. And I said, well, I just got to do it, you know. And, and I remember when I was there and back in my grandma's place, which was really a dump. But it was something to have your head, my head over, have a roof on my head. I remember people knocking on the door saying, can you go across the street and get me this? And I'd be like looking at them and, and part of me want to do it. And the other part of me say, when you do it, you're going right back to where you came from. You know, and I would just say, no, I cannot do that. You know, and I had this one guy, I was, you know, the door downstairs didn't close very well. 
But the upstairs door did. And I was in there. And honestly, as God is my witness, and I always tell the story when I get a chance. I was sitting on the bed. I had a newborn. I had the baby. And I was sitting on the bed with an N.A. book in my hand. And the person ran up the steps. And they looked. And they looked at the baby. And they looked at me. And then they looked down at the book. And then they looked back up at me. And then they backed all the way down the steps. And they never came back. I didn't say a word. Wow. That was the power, you know? Yeah. And I knew that I would be taken care of as long as I do what I'm supposed to do. So I didn't live that far from a meeting that they was having. And I got involved in the meetings. I got involved in service. You know, I got involved with the people that was trying to do the same thing I was trying to do. So it just helped a whole lot. I want to highlight, I really want to highlight the, the word involved. You went from uh, uh, things happening to you, right, to being a recipient, to getting involved. Like you said, you got involved in the meetings. You got involved with the people around you. You got involved with service. You got involved. You got engaged. And I, I want the listeners to know that that's when the change happens is when we start to engage with life instead of disengage and disconnect and hope that things will just pan out for us. We have to get involved in the change that we want to see in our lives. Yes. When your mom died when she was when you were six years old, what did she die from? Oh, I, I was always told only by one cousin who was my world till the day he died. You know, because I felt like he was the only one that understood and accepted me, you know, in life. And so, but when he wanted to be mean, he would say, your mother died from alcohol, but drink the alcohol. That's why your mother died, you know. And so that would cut a core in me, you know. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not really 100% sure what she died of, but that's what he would say when he got mad at me. And are you? Do you still have suicidal ideations now? I don't. I truly enjoy life. <laughs> I, mean, I was telling my husband the other day, I'm like, I feel better than I did in a long time. You know, because um, you know, it was a lot going on in our life. You know, my husband's daughter died, was 25, and we had no idea. And then the mother died like a week later. You know, it was, and then he went into depression and it was just a whole host of things going on. And like the kids was, you know, they just came back with me. So, you know, they was playing these games where uh, we want to play games with her. So we're going to make her pay for not being there all that time, you know, and they would do stuff. They would say stuff or they would, you know, my daughter was really angry with me. You know, and we had to go through that and we still working through that stuff. You know, um, I don't have any kind of contact with the father, which means I have to do everything for them, me and my husband, ourselves. And so it's just, you know, he doesn't want to talk to me at all. You know, he won't take my calls, you know. And so it's just a whole lot of stuff in the last year that's just kind of like just started happening back to back to back to back, you know, and it was like. Not, none of it was pretty, you know, and so, but through it, I could always find just a little bit of something to hold on to, you know. 
love that. A little bit of something to hold on to. And and that's all we really need. Just a hand, right? Somebody reaches a hand out. You talked about all the people in your life who have helped you. They They just have given you a little bit of something to hold on to. And a lot of times, uh, a lot of what people can be holding on to can be uh, anger and frustration at, at uh, what people have done to them in their history. How have you learned to forgive uh, your, your parents and uh, the, the other people in your life who uh, are the, 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 the source of your PTSD? Well, when I first um, came into sobriety, one of the steps talks about um, making amends. Well, when I first came in, of course, I never did nothing to nobody. You know, they did it all to me. And so working with someone, I finally seen that I had to forgive them in order for me to get better. And it wasn't so much the saying what you did to me was right. It was just like, I forgive you so I can get better and move on. So it was some people I had to forgive, even when they, you know, they might have done it to me. It was only helping me get better and free. And I needed to get free, you know. Actually, I got amends coming up this week to make amends to someone who, for a long time, I, I you know, I wasn't going to do it because they just did it to me. They did me wrong. But when I took a look, stepped back and took a look, I played a part in that, you know. And so I had to forgive them. And then I had to ask them to forgive me for my part. And that would free me up and make me a better person, you know. And I'm always working on being a better person. I love that. I'm always working on being a better person. Uh, One of the things that uh, is beautiful about forgiveness is that, like you said, when you let the anger go, you can we can walk the earth much more relaxed, much more calm. I mean, riding a bike is one of the most freeing things in yes. the world. Do, uh, why do you enjoy riding a bike so much? <laughs> oh gosh, my husband got me on the bike. I was like, I, when I was younger, I I rode the bike all the time because we didn't have bus fares. So, but my husband, you know, he's a little older than I am. And so part of his exercise is riding the bike. And that also not only give us exercise, it give us time together. It give us time to enjoy each other's company, you know. Uh, so we might do three, four miles. Sometimes we might do two, all depending on how, you know, we feel or how the day is going. You know, uh, my husband's out there every day. Um, I go maybe every other day, depending on what I have to do at the house. So, and it feels so free when you're on the bike and coming down those hills and you're riding and you realize you're doing something for yourself, you know, you're taking care of your body, you know, it just kind of makes you feel, or at least it makes me feel like I'm doing the damn thing, you know? I'm like, I'm, take, I'm trying to take care of me for so long. I have not taken care of me. I took care of everybody else around me. And it's hard for me to take care of me because I'm so used to taking care of everyone else. Uh, I, it's, so, it's so true. It, we, we do forget about ourselves last. We wake up, immediately grab our phone and see what messages, what, <laughs> who needs us, when, when they need us. How, 
what what we got to do and uh you know we we just go 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 for our family for our, our bosses uh you know for everybody else and it's good to to allot that time at some point in your day every day not just on the weekends yeah. it's important to have that space in your calendar every single day for yourself uh even if it's just 5 minutes but but put it in the calendar and, and so that you know that at some point you can uh, take care of you, check in on you. It's so important in terms of, uh, you know, this in this long race of life. Yes. And, you know, the job that I have, which I, you know, I haven't been there for about two months, maybe now, but I'm still on the payroll and it's still technically my job, but they haven't opened back up. And that job demands so much. It demands so much, you know, uh, because you have women coming in saying, I need housing, I need food, I need a change of clothes, I need a shower, I need, you know, transportation to get down to get my food stamp card. Or, you know, it could be a hundred different things that these women need and they all coming at you, you know, so it can be really taxing on you. And then the most that the most strength that I have sometimes is just, oh, my God, go home, cook dinner. Say hi to the kids and go to bed, you know. And since I've been off, I'm like, you know, do I really want to step back into what I just left? You know, um, because it can be really, you know, it can be really, you know, see these women every day. And I'm talking about every day we might get. We got 80 women already in there that comes to us every day and sit there and they need all day long till four o'clock, whatever they need, you know, whether it's clothes or shower, food or whatever, you know. Um, and we get new women every day, you know, because someone told somebody about us or whatever they need or whatever. And it can be really taxing on a person, you know, especially when you don't have enough help in that in that um, area of the job, you know, it's just like two people working with 80-something women. And, yeah, we know our job, and we're good at our job, but trust me, at the end of the day, we drained. You know, I had nothing else to give, and I think that was also a part of why I had that meltdown, because I had nothing else to give. And because I had nothing else to give, I was drained. And But it wasn't stopping people from saying, I need, I need, I need, you know, and, and so I have to, I'm really thinking about, am I going to step back into doing what I was doing before I left, um, doing the job I was doing? Or maybe I'll find something else. I'm not sure what I might do. But this, it seems like other doors are opening for me. And so I'm going to keep an open mind. I love that. Keep an open mind. Uh, when you, you said earlier that you and your husband were uh, in marriage counseling, what are some of the lessons that you've learned from marriage counseling that uh, that you <laughs> still have incorporated and that you use? Uh, putting something in the love bank. Uh, dirty fighting. You know, when I came up, it was dirty fighting. You know, you do something to me and it's on. You know, and so I had to learn and we had to learn not to use dirty fighting. You know, um, we had to learn how to talk to each other. And I had to actually learn to say what it is I need 
You know, for so long, I never said what I needed. And so you just seemed to give me what you thought I need, you know. But I never actually said, what is that Sheila needs, you know. And so I'm learning to do that in uh, marriage counseling. You know, I'm learning to uh, put into our love bank. Um, I'm learning to uh, say, you know, be vulnerable. I never want to be vulnerable. You know, my thing was always to be... I'm okay. I'm all right. I got this, you know. I never wanted to be vulnerable. And, and yet today, I work on being vulnerable. Sometimes it's a lot of work. Sometimes it's easier, you know. But I'm learning to be vulnerable and um, also learning to tell the truth about things, you know. Because when I was coming up, it was almost like if I told someone something about someone that did something to me, I might be in trouble. So that took me down a, a road of dishonesty, you know, because I didn't want the other person to get in trouble. So I would always be like, oh, I didn't want to get in trouble because I thought I was going to get in trouble for something that someone else did. And I would just tell lies, you know, so. When I think I'm trying to protect myself, I have to know I don't have to protect myself. You don't have to protect yourself. You okay. Say whatever it is. It's just say it, you know. And that's what I do. Yeah, a lot of us are so afraid of being hurt that we don't say exactly what we want to say. Or we feel like our needs aren't going to be met, so we don't ask for what we need. Right, exactly. And that's how I kind of grew up, exactly like that, you know, um, in a house where everyone drank, you know, and no one talked to each other about how they feel or what's going on or, you know, how was your day? I didn't even, I didn't even have to go to school, you know, so wasn't nobody going to whoop my butt if I ain't go to school, you know, or if I came in at 12 o'clock, anybody going to say, don't you know young girls don't walk the street at 12 o'clock? No one said that, you know, um, so I had to learn what I learned in the streets or from my friends or whatever. But the blessing for me today is I have seven kids. None of them been to jail. Thank God. None of them do drugs. Thank God. They take care of their family. They're productive members of society. And the twins that I have with me, we're getting better a day at a time through therapy and honesty. Well, oh, so you're in also in a family therapy with the twins. How old are the twins? They just turned 16. Wow. So you're, you and the twins, are, are they both girls or boys? A boy and a girl. A boy and a girl. And then are you, the, uh, the twins and then a husband in therapy together or just you and the twins? Well, it's actually um, me and my daughter was, but it didn't kind of work out right then. So I backed out to let her get what she needed. And so she has a therapist that she talks to. I have a therapist that I talk to and she and I can be honest with each other. Like I had to be honest to say to her, I understand I hurt you when I left, but I didn't leave you. I left your dad. You know, I had to be honest that I could have showed up more during that period, but I did the best I could at that time, you know, and so those kind of things begin to help us to begin to heal some. I love that. Now, a lot of people don't go to therapy because they say uh, it's costly, it's expensive. Uh, is there a program that you found uh, to help you with the cost of therapy? 
Well, I can get it from my job. I still would have a copay, like $30. So my insurance for my job would pay for it. But now I also get free therapy from um, my husband is a veteran. So I could get free therapy through I that. Love, I love that. I love that. Um, now, let's let's backtrack a little bit. How are you putting things up in a love bank? <laughs> right, what, the, what that mean? What that mean? You putting what you what you putting up in a love bank? What is that? It's like okay, you have a little job. You like today? I'm putting respect in the love bank. You know, and it's something I can pull from when I need to. So it's like just little thing. Today I'm putting love in the love bank. You know. And and that's kind of how it works. It's just little thing. You put your love, your little love stuff in there. And when you need it, like you might be having a bad day with your husband, and you go like, wait a minute, let me pull something out the love bank. Oh, so is and this I, an actual bank? Is it like a jar that y'all keep somewhere up under the mattress yeah. or what? Yeah. Oh, no, it's just a little uh, um, a little jar that we put little notes in it with different love things going on, and we um, pull out of it when we need to. Yeah. And I also have to learn because of my husband's own issue he has. I also have to learn and to understand that everything is not about me, you know, (laughs) and that I really had to work on that. Everything was not about me. If you mad, it's not about you. You know, somebody's upset. It's not about you. Everything is not about you, you know, because I thought if you was mad, it was about me. If something happened, it was about me, you know. And I had to learn that everything, people go through a whole host of feelings and situations, and it's not about you. And that's how I learned to deal with my husband. When my husband gets into his space, I understand I can back up and allow him to be where he's at. And let him go through what he had to go through. And when he's ready, we can come back together and we can discuss it. You know, I don't have to take it personal. I love. Do you have siblings, Sheila? No, I had one sibling. My mom had two kids. Which one was uh, he was per? I mean, he was uh, handicapped, and he died probably about four, five years now. And so it's just me for my mother. But my father had four kids by another lady and we're not that close you know I grew up in my grandmother my mother's mother so uh we're not that close but we do I mean they love me it's just always been me you know I always been the one that moved not them you know I was always the one that really didn't want to be or go around them but they always accepted me you know even the mother I mean she always I don't care where I moved at in D.C. Or Merlin, this lady would find me, <laughs> you know. So I have um, four half sisters and four step brothers and sisters. Wow, uh, Sheila, this has been such an inspiring episode. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want people to know that who might be struggling with mental health um, issues? I, I just say recognize it and begin to embrace it. Because if I don't embrace it, I'm going to fight it. And I can't embrace something I don't know about. Learn about your disease and how to treat it. 
and then embrace it. And then last question, because uh, I always feel like there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Sheila? Please reach out and get help. There's a whole lot of different organizations out there that's just willing to be there for you and to help you through. It is just life can be beautiful. It really can. I mean, we might feel like we at the end of our votes and it's no hope, but it's always some hope. And just keep that hope. Just keep that little mustard seed of hope and reach out and tell somebody how you feel so you can get the help that you need. I love that mustard seed of hope. Uh, Sheila, where can people find you? Plug all your things. Are you on social media, Facebook, or (laughs) the name of your organization? Um, Healing Black Women is who I'm I'm with right now. I just, this is my first time doing this. You know, uh, first time talking in this length to someone um, about my life, you know, um, I did do a documentary before on Beat the Streets, um, but that was so long ago, you know, I'm just a regular person and I'm just learning how to tell my truth, you know, um, and I'm just beginning to do this and I'm beginning to love it already. <laughs> I love it. And, and, and my listeners, I'm sure are loving you, your spirit, your energy, your resilience, uh, you're, you're a testament to the will of not just black people and black women, but to Americans and to humanity that we can bounce back. And, and as your story states, it's, we, we don't do it by ourselves. It's uh, we, we have these mustard seeds of hope and, and, and strangers along the way uh, will reach out. And it's up to us, like you said, you know, with your sobriety story, uh, it was you had to make up your mind to use the resources and to accept the resources that were given to you and accept your diagnosis. And it wasn't it wasn't until you started accepting yourself and accepting the resources that your life began to change. And now you've been married and you have seven kids and they're almost your last two are almost out the door. And you're riding a bike with your husband. (laughs) There are so many people who would love to ride a bike with their spouse on a daily basis. I mean, you're living the American dream. Thank you so much, Sheila King. Thank you so much to listeners. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. Go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Sheila. You're welcome. Bye-bye.